uh, you know, the uh, hit on Yarko behind the net was way worse. I mean, I got suspended hitting Pascal Dupuy earlier this year for the exact same hit. So, I mean, I don't know what, uh, why mine's going to be hotly contested. You didn't know your elbow came up and hit him in the head? Are you asking me or are you telling me? No, I'm asking you. Yes. You're an expert? No, it was on the replay. So you're an expert? No, it was on the replay. That's so you the... saw it, you're saying yes. you saw it, it's on, you're an expert? Yes. You're not an expert, so we'll stop. No, I'm not an expert, I'm saying I saw it. I'm asking you, did you know you got your elbow up? You're telling me I got my elbow up? It was on the replay. You're an expert. You know it was up. has become a reality. A beyond capacity, fully vaccinated Scotiabank Centre crowd here in Toronto, Ontario for the triumphant return of third line plug, Smackdown. Hello everybody, Taylor Gibson along with Tim Jesse coming to you from Centre Ice. Tim, we've been in this building a number of times and this crowd, I will go on record and say this is going to be the loudest crowd we have ever heard. It really did hit it on the nail there. The electricity is in the air for this event, something I can't even put into words. It truly has been a long time since something has rocked this building this hard. These fans are in for a real treat tonight, an absolute barn burner of a crowd that will truly usher in a new era of unparalleled success. Now, without further ado, let's get this show. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Smackdown edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going great. It's great to have regular season hockey back at a regular time. And we've had a really good weekend of hockey, eh? We really have. I re- we really have had a great weekend of hockey. And, you know, I will even say, even after watching the game yesterday versus Dallas, I will go on record right now and say, I'm not complaining that we played an American team. It was really interesting to play a team that wasn't the same seven this year. And it was a great game. Really good, really good game. It was. Like, it really was a, such a good game. And, of course, we'll talk about that next week on the third line plug sense cast, but we got to start off by today's episode because today's episode is our season five opener. Also known episode 96. Now, of course there wasn't a player for the Ottawa senators <laughs> war number 96. So we went with Ottawa senators memes and today's cover athlete is Andy Sutton's. You're an expert. I got to say when you're talking about senators memes, it's right at the top. Like that will always be 
the words instant classic come to mind, really. I mean, when you think of an instant classic, instant, instantly memorable, you're an well, expert. Like that comes up well, so much with people. Weren't we like throwing that back and forth between each other, like the day it happened? The day after it happened, remember? Because we, we came to school and that was like the first thing we mentioned. We're like, did you see Andy Sutton's post game last night? You're like, are, are you, you an expert? asking me or are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is great because, uh, it turns out that a friend of the show was there when it happened. He was. He was. And I want to give a quick shout out to a friend of the show, a bod of the pod, Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Because for today's episode, given that Andy Sutton's You're an Expert is our cover athlete, you and I have always debated who really asked him that question? Because we had to know. And when Ian came on last time, we failed to ask him about this. So this morning I actually reached out to him and I asked him like, Hey, listen, I know you're in that scrum. I know you were working for sports at the time. Do you happen to know who actually asked this? And Ian Mendez responded and I'll quickly read out what he said to me. He says, Hey Taylor, thanks for reaching out. Good luck with your season opening show. Thank you, Ian. So it was a Pittsburgh reporter who asked, but I don't recall which one. I actually wrote about the whole incident and just found the link to the article. I didn't name the reporter from Pittsburgh then, so I highly doubt it's listed anywhere. All I know is that it was a Pittsburgh-based reporter who was in the Ottawa room to get post-game quotes. And then there's the link to the article. Yeah, which I did. I got a chance to read the thing. And you know what's really funny? When reading that article, the one thing that really sticks out to me was that he made a point right out of the gate to say that Andy Sutton was in a pretty good mood going into that. Like he wasn't hostile. He wasn't in a bad mood with anybody. It just happened to be that one reporter that set him off for whatever reason. Well, it's like in the article as well, you noted that the, the question was standoffish. Like, so you get like a reply and even the first, are, are you asking me, are you telling me is more confused than annoyed? Like if you go back to this, it's like, uh, it, there's like a pause and then, uh, and then a, are you telling me? Are you asking me? It's so true. And you know, that was always the, the impression I got, especially when I rewatched it today, because I was just like, I don't know how many times I've seen that clip. It's never stops being funny to me because you could just tell, even the look on Andy's face when he gets asked that is just like, <laughs> what? Uh, how do I hear? How does he even respond to that? Well, and what's funny is the other uh, pre like the previous questions were already about that hit and the air should have been pretty clear by then. But it's just, it's such a funny exchange. Oh God, it was so awesome. You know, the only thing that I really am a little upset about when talking about that is that Andy Sutton was on Spit and Chicklets. I don't know how many months ago now. It was in 2011. It was in this year or tw sorry, 2021. The guys at Spit and Chickens failed to bring this up because that's the most iconic moment of his tenure with the Sens. It was like they asked about it. He made like one or two sentences. He says, yeah, I played from a few games, played in the playoffs, and moved on. That's all that ever came up of it. And I'm amazed that those guys never brought that up because, you know, when you talk about the guys in Spit and Chickens, like they're ex-NHLers, they've dealt with the media for so long. You would have thought that would be something they would have brought up. But no. A lot of times, a lot of the stuff they brought up was when he played in Atlanta with Ilya Goldachuk. Right. Like, Maybe it just they just didn't think it was there was enough time to fit it in, you know? Maybe. Like, how long was the episode? 
I think the interview itself, I think was over an hour. Like their interviews okay, are yeah. lengthy, but the funny thing is, is after that interview came out, the comments were all Ottawa fans going, how did you not bring up you're an expert? It was really? all fans and it was awesome. I was like, yes. And I might've done it too, but. Oh, okay. But it's just, I guess for us, it it's this really iconic moment. And I imagine that Pittsburgh fans probably, if they think Eddie Sutton, that's what they think as well. Because like the guy, I think he only played like one season on the Island. So it's not like he spent a bunch of time playing for their rival. All they really have is uh, Jordan Leopold getting put through a door. And then the guy who did it afterwards lipping off to the reporter, the well, seeming to be lipping off to the reporter. Like, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, that's got to be aggravating. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Like, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> imagine, like, you know, especially with, like, the Mark Maddens and those guys who cover the Penguins. I can only imagine what Penguin players must think of that guy. They're thinking, who's this, you know, fat tub of lard trying to try and tell me what he thinks, right? It's just like, eh, eh, fuck off. Kind of one of those kind of deals. But... That's not here there anyway. So I, we do have, I do have a couple of notes regarding the expert quote itself. So as we said, it was a post-game scrum following their playoff game on April 16th, 2010. The reporter asked him if he knew if he got his elbow up. We've already kind of covered that. I think when I talk about this, about the, the sends memes cover athlete was that we had a couple of heavy hitters. It was when you kind of looked at it, you can kind of tell that you're an expert was probably going to lead but when you had Borokop, Sensicos, were a team, like it seems like, oh, okay, there's some more modern stuff there. Fans would probably gravitate to, but it just seems like it's funny for a clip that's what 11 years old now. Fans still go back to it, and fans still think of it so highly. Yeah, and I think it it's funny because that we have so many of these moments that we were able to just knock off other ones that I think people from out of market might put more weight on, like uh, Ubergate and shit like that. True, but I mean, I think because Ubergate show, showed the sends in such a negative light, that's probably where yeah. Senators fans don't look at it very fondly. Kind of like if you look at the Melnick out campaign, like the fans look at it as this is a response to the fact that the owner and the team pushed us so far that we ended up pushing back. Yeah. So Tim, there's really not a ton I can talk more about so I am going to ask the question, our listeners for the past five seasons have loved hearing me ask you, how has your week been going? We're on week two of turkey leftovers. Ooh, okay. Okay. What yeah. did you guys get up to with the turkey leftovers this week? So uh, last week we were just eating through it, eating through the actual dinner leftovers. And uh, now we put the carcass into a soup and that'll probably last us the week. Yeah, and it's, I'm used to making a chicken soup with a carcass. So that usually needs a bit of extra stock to kind of fill up the pot. Not with the turkey, holy. Yeah. Well, how big of a pot are you putting the carcass into? Is it, It's a pretty, pretty, it's pretty lengthy. So uh, to make the actual stock, I used a slow cooker. Okay. Okay. Well, how, did, how did that turn out? Really good, actually. I didn't really have to add that much uh, additional seasoning in. I just added like a hit a bit of ginger a bit of garlic powder and some, and some salt and pepper okay I'm, I'm kind of interested to ask you like why exactly do you put ginger into the turkey soup it's just for flavor that you, you and chelsea appreciate yeah it's a nice flavor and uh it it does move it a bit more in that chicken soup 
direction because you usually put a bit of ginger in chicken noodle soup stock as well. Okay. Yeah, because when we do chicken soup stock, we'll usually use uh, lemongrass and ginger. Like we'll get like actually chop up ginger and chop up lemongrass and throw it in there. Right. Uh, this time uh, we're just like, okay, we've already put enough stuff on the turkey. There's probably going to be like, and there was like leftover stuffing that I couldn't clear out of the cavity that ended up in the soup as well. Mm-hmm. So I already had quite a bit of seasoning in there already because uh, a lot of the skin made it into the soup and then dissolved in the soup. Right. Yeah, so it was turned out really well. Okay. So another question I quickly got to ask regarding the chicken carcass itself, after you make the soup, do you then turn it into chicken art? No, we, we don't make chicken heart here today. Oh God. I wonder how many listeners would actually appreciate that reference. That's I over a year old now, right? It must've been just Adam. Adam was probably the only one who would probably appreciate the chicken art reference. We still don't actually know what chicken art is because that woman never told us. That's true. And we even Googled it after that episode. We're like, <laughs> let's Google what chicken art is. And it's just like paintings of chicken. That's all it was. Yeah. It's like, but she was making it sound like it used the livestock, which was a little terrifying. Yeah. Other than that, not too much. Mostly just uh, work stuff. Although uh, my buddy's 30th was this weekend. So uh, we went out and did like five hours of karaoke after the Leafs game. Okay. Okay. So given that you just brought up karaoke, what is your go-to karaoke song? Well, I have a bunch. I think I'll usually do uh, Built This City by Starship. Mr. Brightside by the Killers. There's a few anime openings that I'll go to uh, just because they're really fun. Although those ones are like throat wreckers. Overman King Gainer being the worst. Because you're basically just screaming King Gainer for four minutes. Right. Does a lot lot of karaoke bars uh, cater to like anime themes? So uh, a lot of the ones in uh, Calgary are run by uh, Korean expats. And they'll use the TJ Media system. Right. which is a Korean uh, karaoke system and they'll have Japanese music on it as well as North American and Korean. Okay. Okay. Not too bad. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about that. Cause a lot of the bars here on the Island, they don't really cater to that. They are more, you know, like your top forties, your classic yeah, yeah. Hits, stuff like that. I think the only time I ever, ever did karaoke was at the horseshoe in Shimada's. Right. And I did 500 miles by the proclaimers. Nice. Yeah, which is funny. And I think there's a reason why I did it is because the brothers and the Proclaimers, they share the same birthday I do, March 5th. Nice. And they're from the same town that my dad is. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. But yeah, it's, oh, this is one thing that's, uh does get me a little annoyed. It's just the song selection could be really weird on the Korean. Because I'm guessing it's like, it definitely is played towards uh, mainstream South Korean tastes. Right. So like they'll they'll have weird things like they'll have the dire straits but they won't have money for nothing. Really? Yeah. Why, why is that? Because dire. I mean, money for nothing is dire straits' biggest hit. That's like uh, Solstice of Swing. Yeah. Well, I guess they have Solstice of Swing, but they don't have uh, they don't have mo- money for nothing. And it's like it can- I doubt it's a rights issue. It might just be they overlook like they overlooked it or they they paid for it and then just not enough people in the ma- major carry. Yoki bars and soul were playing it you know that's crazy just, that just seems like if you were to play eddie money and you don't have two tickets the other one is i think the only acdc song they have is i want to say thunderstruck it's not back in black or, no it's back in black 
but they don't have Hell's Bells, Thunderstruck for those who want to rock like any of that. It's just Back in Black. Okay, now for Back in Black, I can kind of understand that because when the common person who isn't maybe an ACDC fan, when they ask him name an ACDC song, it usually would be either Thunderstruck or Back in Black. Like they're not going to name Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells yes i would i would argue that my just because like i am a rock music fan i know their stuff i don't know if the common person well it's tough to say I, you I might get dirty deeds as well yeah there's some tracks that are just kind of on the fence though but that's a thing back in black and thunderstruck like that's their biggest hits right there so i gotta yeah. understand that though the other ones they were big hits too but i don't really know if the common person would go out of their way to do it unless they know ACDC's music. Yeah. Actually, the funniest one is for some reason they have like the soundtrack to Sonic Adventure 2 in there. And it's like, I remember noticing it because for some reason I had like in the back of my head that like the name of the lead singer is like, what the fuck? They have Sonic Adventure 2 and people are like, no way, that can't be right, Tim. And it's like that the music starts playing, they're like, Jesus Christ. You know what? When talking about Sonic music, I'm amazed they didn't have the music from Sonic 3 because Michael Jackson produced a lot of their stuff. That's acapella. Sorry, that's uh, acoustic. That doesn't work for karaoke. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. I was just thinking more music-wise just because, again, Michael Jackson had a big hand in the Sonic 3 soundtrack, right? Yeah. Well, it's like Sonic Adventure was, I guess, a popular enough game. And the rights probably go for dirt cheap that... It just made it, it, it wandered its way in there. Mm-hmm. No, just a quick question because you and Chelsea have been to Japan a number of times. And obviously, I guess it's kind of a redundant question because Sega is not really in the console market anymore. Is there kind of like more Nintendo or a Sega fan base over in Japan? Or is it kind um, of so Japan's funny? Okay. Because as far Sega, even though it doesn't have a console, it runs a massive chain of arcades and then it also does a lot of like anime sponsorship and stuff so like sonic is still around in a big way but yeah as far as fandoms go like like nintendo's obviously big there so like the sony consoles are really popular but yeah sonic the hedgehog still kicks around my favorite one is that we were passing by one of the sega arcades and i want to say ikibukuro so uh unlike uh akihabara which is really aimed at more aimed at kind of male anime fans. Uh, there's a large section of Ikebukuro that's known as Otome Road that's aimed at female fans. Okay. And they had this stand-up advertising a new idol anime called Love Live at the time. This is in 2015. And there's a picture of like one of the more popular girls in the show posing with Sonic the Hedgehog trying to get you to come to this goddamn arcade. <laughs> it's just this really weird, like really weird standee. And it's just like, who does this appeal to? <laughs> yeah. Now the reason why I asked that is because Sega traditionally did very well in Japan. And you could look at a console like the Sega Saturn as an example, where the Saturn had such a long lifespan in Japan, whereas here it was kind of like, died. Yeah, Although, it died. But I the mean, inverse is tr- this is really funny because the inverse is true with the Genesis. The Genesis didn't actually do that well in Japan, but uh, like the host of sports games kept it alive longer than it should have been in North America. Yeah. I mean that in Sonic, but yeah. then again, I guess by the time Sonic three came out, cause when did Sonic three come out? 90, 93, 94, 93, 94. Yeah. So by that time, 
like the Super Nintendo was really coming to its end too, and then Donkey Kong Country comes out, and it's like, oh shit. Well, Donkey Kong Country and like those sorts of games probably allowed the SNES to uh, continue on while the freaking Virtual Boy was just flopping and dying. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie, Tim. I really, really appreciate it. We could just sit down and just talk gaming on Third Line Plug. Yeah, it's become yeah. a tradition. You know, it really has. Like, just us going off the rails for how many long. But, you know, it's also a tradition, Tim. Every season, I have a cold one to start it off. Ooh, what's this one? This one's actually a pretty good one. Now, hold on a sec. Sorry, I'm just going a little bit ahead. Okay, so this is a supery... Oceanside Blonde Ale, mm. and it's not bad actually. It's kind of a goldy, you know. It's it's a nail, so it's not super super heavy. Mm. It's not bad. I've actually had a couple of these on the show in the past. Gotcha. I think gotcha. Last season when we opened up, I think I had one of their IPAs, and their IPAs are pretty good. I'm I'm kind of steering away from IPAs myself right now, just because I'm trying other beers. Like I tried a Stanley Park. Oh, here's a can right here. Uh, it's a Stanley Park Brewery Sun Settler Peach Wheat Ale. Oh, there it is. It's, it's a summer beer, man. It's so nice. Teach like peach. So I'll talk a little bit about my week because honestly, it's just been one of those weeks where, you know, when you're kind of to the point of being burnt out on things and you're just like, you get so frustrated. Yep. That was me at work. I just, I got to a point. I'm just like, are you really, you guys? Like, I understand we're short-staffed. I understand that, you know, more is being put on me, but you can at least help me out a little bit here. Come on. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But I will say one thing is it wasn't last week. It was the week previous. We actually got another raise at work. Sick. Yeah. So I won't I won't reveal how much I'm getting paid an hour, you know, because I don't want the groupies sliding into my DMs. <laughs> get that money, you know. But – no, it's a nice little nice little raise that I appreciate. But one sad thing that I do got to talk about this week is, so I came home from work, I'm trying to remember what day it was, like Friday or something. And uh, I was talking to my mom and she was talking about, there was a car accident just up the road from where I work. Oh. And the person who died in the car accident was my mom's ex-coworker. Oh. Yeah. And that That's was really sad. sad. And I, she she had retired a few years ago. And yeah, it was just, unfortunate like we found out that she was the one who killed in the car accident it's never fun man when you hear stuff like that especially because i met her in the past and yeah she was whatever from what i hear but she was always nice to me so i can't really you know i can't really talk serious about the death right so yeah and it always sucks like if you're just like that close like you just took your retirement and you don't even get to enjoy it right yeah well that's like there was a really good family friend of ours and he retired in 2014 he had retired i think in like mid-september late september he went out hunting for thanksgiving he was gone probably five days oh and he died of a heart attack he had been retired maybe two weeks oh jesus and he and it was sad because he had this whole retirement planned out like him and his wife are going to go on a cruise he was talking to me about going to vancouver because the great cup was in vancouver that year so he was thinking of buying tickets. We're going to Vancouver, watch the Grey Cup, and that was going to be great. And obviously, it all fell apart, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and it was it sucked because it was like six months and a week after my brother had passed away. So that hit me even twice as hard. I was like, oh no, not again. 
yeah, it's just so tight in too, right? Yeah. That's rough, dude. It is rough. But I will I don't want to end off my recap for the week on a negative note. So I will give a positive note. Guess who got the tickets to the Sense Connects game in January? Nice. What row did he get? So I'm not going to be in the lower bowl because I was looking at tickets and I was just like, like, I don't want to have to drop like 400 bucks for a couple of tickets on the game. 400? Holy. They're expensive. Yeah. Like I was looking in the lower bowl and they're looking at probably 140, 160 a piece. Okay. That's about what I was paying for Calgary. Yeah. But they were like, they were expensive. And I was just like, ah, like I want to go back to Canucks games and watch the Sens play, but that's pretty, pretty pricey, man. If it was just myself going, that would be fine. Like, it's just like a one ticket, whatever you're going. Yeah. So I got a couple tickets in the 300s, but they're decent. They're a little bit, they're not super high up, but they're kind of more in the lower 300s. Okay. So it's not too bad. So I got a couple of tickets. I talked to my dad. Hopefully we'll be able to go in January because I'm going to be off work for that. Right. So it's going to be a good time, man. I'm really nice. Really nice. Yeah, because uh, I guess I lucked out when I found a really well-priced set of tickets being like pretty close to ice level for the Calgary Flames games. Cause yeah, I, I paid 200 for the both of them. That's pretty good. That's what I know. That's insane. That is, that's really good. But surprisingly, that's what I paid for the tickets up in the three hundreds was 200 for two. Yeah. Well, it's like, does Vancouver have a fans first yet? So I don't use Ticketmaster anymore. Ah, uh... I'm sure they probably do, but I bought the tickets right off the website. Oh, so, like right off the still, site. Okay. Yeah. They still go away. Ticketmaster. I'm sure they probably have a resale market for tickets. But if you bought them right off the Canucks. Yeah. Chances are you're probably, you might be actually paying pretty close to face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause I bought the tickets I got the, uh, the insurance thingy on it, which was like nothing, but it was kind of insurance. Like if the game got canceled, I'd get my money back kind of deal. So it was good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Now, I know I want to talk a little bit about our thoughts on this show turning season five. But before I do that, there was something that I know you wanted to talk about. <laughs> the hockey anime. And I know you want to start. Is this off. my bit? This is your All bit. Right. Every once in a while, we will bring up the hockey. hockey no, it's happening every week. The Pride yeah. of Orange bit. This is now the third line plugs anime podcast. And uh, yeah, okay. I'll have so, you know. Am I, am, I, am I Bosty now? Is that who I've become? This is what's happening. And we're going to take Bosty in this one. Nice. Say, hey, we talked about Pride of Orange. We're talking about <laughs> You'll but, have to uh, do that, man. You will have to tag him in that. Yeah, so we're on it. Ep- we've gone through two episodes. Episode three airs this week. We've had... a. Do you want to guess how much hockey has been played in about 45, 50 minutes of anime runtime? Now, are we talking roughly minutes? Minutes. Minutes of showtime. Okay. Between the two episodes, I want to say nine. Less. Six. Less. Three. About five. So in the first, the show, at least to its credit, opens with a hockey sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I guess it's a flash forward or flashback of the main characters playing for Team Japan against Team Canada, and they score a game. Games four four. They score the winning goal before time runs out. I contend the goal is fucking offside. 
Oh, blame me. That's not we will talk about a game where a guy went offside, but <laughs> we'll talk. Oh, I hate it, but oh yeah. Yeah, so mostly it's about it turns out the girls are all part of an embroidery club and the local team's like, hey, come learn how to play hockey. So they are like, oh, let's go play hockey. And then they they go back to their house, talk more about playing hockey, then they go and play the hockey. And then the next episode, they're trying to find more people so they can make a hockey team, basically. So in a weird way, it's kind of like the anime version of the Mighty Ducks in a way. Yeah, kind of. So far. Although like their coach is a, she used to play hockey, but she also used to be kind of an idol. So uh, she's like, oh, maybe we could also teach them to like dance and sing and stuff so we could have more draws to the game. So like their warm up looks like dancing and shit like that. Uh, and people, I've seen people on uh, some forums be like, what the hell is this? I'm just like, isn't that just the storm surge? Uh, I guess uh, the dream monkeys are the Carolina hurricanes of Japanese women's hockey. That's a segment that right there is, I don't know. I never even thought those words ever come out here. The storm monkeys are like the Carolina hurricanes of anime. Yep. Pretty much. So yeah, if you want to watch pride of orange, <laughs> I think Funimation has it this season. So yeah. If you like hockey or like an idol anime, give it a shot. It's good enough to watch, honestly. So far, it's one thing I've noticed is the skating's a bit janky. Right. And I'm not sh- like what I think they probably did is there must have been something wrong with their mocap because it's really funny because the show itself, what they did was uh, they were, they taught the girls how to skate. So you see, like, uh, on their, the show's YouTube channel, they have like videos of them trying to like shoot the pocket targets, stuff like that. And it's, it's not going well. Right. Would it, would it have been easier if they had, say, a shooter tutor or something? Something like, well, they use like pylons and shooter tutors and stuff like that. They had them trying to like skate, like kind of skate around the pylons at the edge of the rink. And you could tell like they just learned how to skate, right? Very straight legged, very kind of janky. Uh, kind of like, yeah, kind of like, like model. Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of. But like, there's just something not smooth about the CGI of the skating, the mocap skating in the show. And I'm not sure what it is. Like, I, I think they might have just set up their, I wonder if they, there was just something weird in the way they set up their mocap. Because something's just like, something feels weird here. Because it's like, the passing looks good, the shoots, the shooting looks all right for what we get to see of it. It's just something about some of the skating scenes are still, oh, that's a bit weird. Okay. Do you know if they're using, like, either ice skaters or ex-pro players to do the mocap for this show? Or do they just getting anybody? My Japanese is not good enough to read that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Because, like, as far as uh, machine translation is pretty unreliable. So, for anything like that, it's, well, I'm reading it myself. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. So, yeah, I think this is going to have to become a segment here on Third Line Plug where Tim talks about hockey. The show's anime. Hockey Anime Pride of Orange. Yeah. So, Let's quickly talk about season five, because again, when we, when we were recording last time, we talked about how this is such a milestone season for us, because again, when we started this almost five years ago, like we never thought we would last this long, to be perfectly honest. I vaguely remember talking about it. It's like, yeah, if we get a few good seasons out of it, it'll be great. Yeah. But then yeah. again, I think like all of our interview wish list targets were just kind of pipe dreams when we yeah. thought about it too, right? True. I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. Like, Ian Mendez, pipe dream. Jamie McLennan, pipe dream. Alex Marchand, pipe dream. But then when we got those names off the list, but then we crossed up other names like 
Pan and Canuck from the Sense call-ups and Trevor Shackles, who is going to be on next week's episode. I'm looking forward to that. And Sens founder, Bruce Firestone, who recorded a fantastic spoken word opening for our episode last week. So good. So good. And you know what? And there's still so many players and so many people that we would love to get on the show. And you know what? It's our fifth season, man. Like we're definitely going to try and get some great guests, some great people on the show. And I'm just really looking forward to this, man, because I'm so excited. And this has always been the best part of the week. You and I get to sit down, talk hockey, or in your case, talk hockey anime. <laughs> and we just got to talk sense, right? Because again, when we were growing up, that's what we talked about was hockey, yep. the Ottawa Senators. And not hockey anime. It's true. Actually, it was funny because I had to go to my friend's place earlier today and drop off her coat. And when I was coming home, I drove by Q of A during the day when kids are there. And I just looked out in the field. I see the kids in like the full uniforms coming around the corner where like, you know, the front of the school is where the basketball courts are. Yeah. And I, just, I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, 15 years ago, that was us. Yeah, it's like, I guess I've saved those sorts of feelings because I live like a thousand miles away from where I went to school. Yep. But it's just like, just driving by the school, you see the kids in your phone, like, oh, that was me. Yeah, I know. And it was crazy. Even when you were back last time, we looked through those old yearbooks you still had. Dad, that's just crazy looking at those. I was like, oh my God, we were so young in those. Well, even, yeah, like the high school ones too, even that was like, I definitely look more like the high school ones than the middle school one, but it's still like, wow, that's a baby face. No, <laughs> you in middle school, that was a baby face. Oh my God. But it was also smug as shit too, so that didn't help. Yeah, that was what, I think you, Chelsea, and I commented about that when we were just looking at those yearbooks, you're like, God, I look so smug. And I looked at my God, I look so fat. <laughs> it was true. I just looked at those. I was like, God, I was such a butterball. Thank God I do not look like that anymore, though. So, <laughs> yay us. Moving on up. Very much so. Speaking of moving on up, Tim, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Damn, I still got it. No, that's golden. That's golden. Oh, it's so good, right? Five seasons right there, bud. But you know what's also good? I love to hear those bells. Oh, fills my heart with joy. Every day, man. Every day. You know what also fills my heart with joy, Tim? Over the last several seasons, we had a little segment kicking off top of the air called Ovi Watch. Season five, episode one is going to be no different. Washington Capitals captain Alexander Ovechkin passed Marcel Dion for fifth on the all-times goal list with 732 during the team's season opener versus the New York Rangers. Ovechkin is now 10 goals behind Brett Hall for fourth on the all-time list at the time of the story. He's going to do it, man. He totally is. Like this is, And you know, this is a record. When you want to talk about records in the NHL that were deemed unbreakable, this was it right here. 894 was deemed unbreakable because you had so many great goal scores in the NHL. And you're thinking, man, and it took surprising. You know what? It took Wayne Gretzky 15 seasons to do it. People tend to forget that, right? You would have thought, oh, cause Gretzky was breaking record after record, after record, after record. You wouldn't have thought that it took him 15 seasons to set that record. But then Alex Ovechkin is in what season 16, 17 right now. Yeah. And well, he's it's only like, a couple of years away from breaking it. Well, yeah, because Gretzky's NHL career is from 79 to 99. So a full 20 year span. 
And according to the hockey reference here, and he didn't really play all that much past 97 from what I remember. Um, 97, 98, I think he did 98, 99. I don't think he played a ton, but he, he still played a lot of hockey. I think the only season he didn't play a ton of hockey in was the 92, 93 season. Yeah. LA went to the finals, but other than that, but you've got to keep in mind that Gretzky never played in a year where a full season was wiped out. So that kind of contributes to that. But I think the fact is that it doesn't factor in for Ovechkin because he wasn't in the NHL just yet. Yeah. He was in the year, the year after that, 0506. And man, like who would have thought, eh? Of all people, Alex Ovechkin is going to break that record. Like it's going to happen. Well, it's like, he's been very good this season so far. Like two goals, three, sorry, two games, three goals. Like he has not skipped a beat. No, he hasn't. And you know what's funny though, man? Even when because we play fantasy hockey this year, whoever picked him up, man, that's gonna be a huge year for Alex Ovechkin. If they because they're gonna play a full 82 games, if he could stay healthy, which is funny because his game doesn't really allow a lot of health in the game. You would have thought he would have been hurt, but Ovechkin's never seriously been hurt in his career. So no, because if you look at like his stat lines, like for normal seasons, his lowest is 72. That's that's really remarkable, man. Yeah, because, like, his lowest are, like, 2020, 2021 with 45 out of the 59 games played. And when the NHL stopped in 2019-2020 at 68, yeah, he played all of those games with 48 goals. Like, that's insanity. It is. You know what? As much as it's really insane that Alex Ovechkin is now fifth on the all-time goals list – I like to think that the world is a much better place knowing that we have a brand new Alex Ovechkin commercial. Oh my God. That commercial is so good. I saw it. The first time I saw that, I just let, this is great. Well, my favorite one is just like, what, why is Nikki on the policy? Yeah. We are We're a duo. Yeah. yeah. If something happens to me, who is going to, how is, who's going to pass him the puck? How is he going to get his assists? What then? Yeah. Yeah. What, what then? then? <laughs> So why is he always here for breakfast <laughs> uh, <so> <laughs> sticking with the washington capitals tim washington capitals head coach peter laviolette moved past john tornarella for most wins by an american coach in the nhl with 674 laviolette is currently in a second season as capitals head coach following coaching 10 years with the new york islanders Carolina Hurricanes, Philadelphia Flyers, and Nashville Predators recording is 672, 440, and 25 regular season record and a 76-72 playoff record at the time of the story. It's funny because it's like Peter Laviolette is one of those coaches where been all over the NHL. He seems to succeed at a lot of things, but I don't think anyone really gives him his due because he just gets fired all the goddamn time. True. And I think, well, I think also because there was such a lack of playoff success there too. Right. And a lot of player players and a lot of coaches today are judged on playoff success fairly or unfairly. It's, it's true. Doesn't Laviolette have a cup? Laviolette. No, he doesn't. I thought he, no, no, he does. Sorry. Oh, five, yeah. Oh, six. yeah. That's right. One of the most forgotten Stanley cup wins in NHL history right there. Yeah. Like talk about a guy who gets no respect. Peter Laviolette 
does not get the respect he deserves because he is a good coach. It's true. And he's gotten a lot out of the teams that he coached. Like he got a lot out of the 0102 Islanders. He got a Stanley Cup out of the 0506 Hurricanes. When he played in when he coached in Philadelphia, you know, you see the playoff runs he had there. Nashville, he went to the Stanley Cup finals with in 2017. Like you're absolutely right. This is a coach who should get a lot more respect than he does. Yeah. And yeah, like half of those teams he dragged to the playoff. Like they were skilled teams, don't get me wrong, but he dragged some of those teams kicking and screaming. Like the Carolina Hurricanes were not even close to a cap team in 0506. No, which is funny. If you go back and look at that team, that was a good team. Like really, you think Rod Brendamore, Doug Wade, Eric Stahl, Cam Ward, like you had a lot of guys on that team. It's like, really? These guys play for the Hurricanes? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just because freaking Pronger managed to take all the air out of that series, right? He did. Uh, because it was a fairly he was fairly controversial. He was. And I gotta ask, do you think the 06 Hurricanes win is only overlooked just because of the fact the eighth seeded Edmonton Oilers were the one that played them? I think so. Yeah. I think so, man. Speaking of overlooked players, though, Tim. Florida Panthers forward Jonathan Huberto recorded his 500th career point during Florida's game versus the New York Islanders. Huberto, drafted third overall by the Florida Panthers in 2011, has a career total of 168 goals and 332 assists in 593 games, all played for Florida, again, at the time of the story. Hey, we like that because Huberto is in my fantasy pool. Ah, yes, the posh Norris. You know, thinking back of it, I shouldn't have known you were going to grab Norris before I did. But I let him fall too long. You know what? You made the ultimate sicko move. Final pick of the draft. Martin Zub. Well, it's like the Zub pick makes sense because he's probably going to be on the ice for most of the Shabbat action. Mm -hmm. And he'll get in on some of it. He's going to be exposed to points. He will. He will, but I don't know how many of them are going to come directly of the fact that Shabbat scores, right? Because obviously, yeah, he's definitely his partner in that, but Shabbat's the one that drives the play a lot in Ottawa. He's the one that generates a lot of the points. Zub is more of the guy who he's kind of like, he, perfect example, he's the Mark Mathot to Eric Carlson. Of course. And that's going to inflate Zub's point totals to the point where he's going to be a good bench player in a hockey league. That's the logic of the pick. True. I mean, that Josh Norris pickup, though, that was great. Final no. pick. Here's the thing. I thought, I didn't think Hurdle was going to survive survive two rounds. So that's why I took Hurdle over Josh Norris. But then I was like, shit, Tay gets to pick the second last pick and I get the last pick. Yeah. Oh, well. You know what's funny? We spent this whole time talking about our fantasy play. We never even talked about Huberto. Okay, so I picked... Huberto is Huberto is another one of those guys where being stuck on those bad Florida teams kind of really wrecked what was going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a, he's just like Sasha Barkov, though. They're two of the most underrated, underappreciated players in the game only because they play for the Florida Panthers. If they played for any other team, well, okay, there's certain teams I think that he would still be overlooked. But I think if you play for a lot of teams, like if he had played for the Rangers or if he played in Canada, I think he would be very appreciated. But 
again, it's a, it's another scenario of great player in a underappreciated market. Well, I think the other thing too, is that those Florida teams weren't good and there wasn't just a sufficient sporting cast. And now that the Florida teams are good people are realizing, Oh, the man was a freaking Island. Uh, and it's a little sad because, because of that, I don't think Huberto's career at this point is a hall of famer career. He's no. going to need that Stanley cup win. Yeah. He's kind of like a Ray Whitney in the way that he puts up a lot of points on teams that are just so under talked about underappreciated like Ray Whitney, when he played in Carolina, he put up a lot of points. San Jose, he put up a lot of points. He played, put up points everywhere the guy played. But again, if you go look at Ray Whitney's stats on Hockey DB, you look at that and you're like, how 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 is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? How is this guy not being appreciated by a lot of fans? But and then it's just like, look at the teams. Exactly, like he played for the Expansion Sharks. No, I don't think he played on the 06 Hurricanes. I thought I thought he did. Might be wrong on that, but yeah. yeah. Now I did mention the New York Rangers and we're going to talk about a former Rangers goaltender, former New York Ranger goalie. Hendrik Lundqvist has joined MSG network as a studio analyst for 20 games this season. Lundqvist announced his retirement from the NHL in late August, 2021, following a 15 year NHL career, all of them with the New York Rangers. It was funny because I remember around this time, well, Around this time last year when uh, people were thinking, it's going to be weird to see Lumquist in a Capitals jersey. And then he announced the heart surgery. Yeah. And it was. And, you know, it was so weird again. And you're absolutely right. Because Lumquist signs with the Caps. And we're thinking, okay, this is going to be like a Martin Brodeur in St. Louis thing where it's going to be so weird seeing that. And then the hockey gods deemed that we can't have that. We need Henrik Lundqvist to be pure. Yeah. It's just such a weird thing, eh? It is. And but it's a shame because, what? like, I really did like uh, Lundqvist as a goalie. But he is definitely the king with no crown, eh? Like, we could definitely definitively say that now that his career is over. Like, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like, Olympic silver, Stanley Cup runner-up. He's kind of like Carey Price, except like maybe one notch below him because, again, Carey has a gold medal. Yeah, pretty much. And that's nothing to say about Lundqvist's uh, quality as a goalie because, like, he is a very, very, very effective goaltender. He was. And prime. you know what? He put Ranger teams into the playoffs that you just look at them and you're like, is this team really that great? Like, oh, they like, had some yeah. decent Ranger teams, but, I mean, you look at them because, again, they would either get knocked out in the first round or – they would play teams that you're just like, oh yeah, that teams they're easy to beat kind of deal. Except for 2014, like they had a really great run and then they ran into the LA Kings. Yeah. And it, that was one of the years where they had St. Louis, right? I think that was, I think that was the year they landed them because it was just like right after the Olympics. Yeah. And that's when Stevie White pissed him off at the Olympics. And after he came home and he's like, yeah, I want you to trade me. <laughs> Man, there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of fun stories just kind of to tell the new crop of hockey fans that came up that just weren't around when uh, the golden goal was scored, right? Because think about it, that's eleven years ago now. I know. 
It's insane, man. And you got to understand that was a tournament that Canada almost came close to losing. A lot of people tend to forget in that game against Slovakia. If Pavel Dimitra didn't, I, think, I can't remember if he hit the crossbar or went right over the net. He scores. We were done. Like Luongo shit the bed in that game. Well, remember how we got put into the, we were in the relegate, like the, we didn't even get a buy into the main top tournament there. We had, after round robin, we had to go to a relegation, not relegation game, sorry, like a do or die game against Russia. And then Evgeny Dabakov had a worse game. I know, man, that's, that was such a crazy Olympics. So actually quickly talking about this, because you said there's going to be a lot of fun hockey stories. The NHL on TNT finally kicked off their season last week. Instant thoughts, Wayne Gretzky and Charles Barkley together. Did you happen to see this? No, I didn't, but uh, I am down for Charles Barkley on TNT hockey. Yeah, because they were doing the, you know how like the NBA on TNT, they have Charles Barkley as an analyst and whatever. He came over for the NHL on TNT and Wayne Gretzky was shooting pucks at him. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yes. Barkley did pretty good. He was. I love the fact that Barkley is a basketball player and yet nobody talks shit about him being on a hockey broadcast. They're like, yes, we appreciate this. Well, I still remember during the 2011, sorry, the 2016, 27 playoffs, uh, Sens versus Penguins, uh, Shaq and Barkley are doing, are supposed to be doing the after show for the, uh, I don't think anyone even cared about that year in the NBA. And Charles Barkley is like, yeah, I don't care. I got money on the Sens. Can we talk about that? I know. And I love the fact when Nashville finally went to the finals, Charles Barkley was at one of the games and Scott Oak interviewed him. He's just like, Sir Charles, what do you think of this game? Oh, I just want to say I really like this game. And, you know, the reason why I like it is because of the parody. You know, you don't need two or three players to put you in the finals. It's great, man. Yeah, no. It's it's good to know that, like, I think I think greats appreciate greats, right? Yeah. And it's good to see that that's – hockey gets it the respect it deserves. It's true. And I remember – there was a press conference, I think Paul Coffey and Gretzky did for the NHL 100th season, and Charles Barkley's in the crowd, and he asked him, he goes, hey, Wayne, who's your favorite black athlete? And he just goes, Grant Fuhr. Nice. So, for the first time in the history of Third Line Plug Tim, we've got a story involving the newest NHL team, the Seattle Kraken because the Seattle Kraken have officially named Mark Giordano as their first captain in franchise history. Giordano, who spent his entire career with the Calgary Flames, was selected by the Kraken in the expansion draft. Not surprised? I I am not surprised. I still can't get over that the Flames did literally nothing to kind of fill in that hole. Well, I guess they picked up Zadorov, but it's still like, man, you let one of your top defensemen go, who is still... A very more than serviceable. Like I would say Giordano is probably still a top line player. I know. And how many people can you really say that at what is he, 37 now? 38? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he really he's honestly reached the Nick Lindstrom part of his career where the guy just gets better in his 30s. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, because he's 37. Uh he had one of his more difficult minute seasons last season. Uh, the points were a bit down, but still, like, 
he's still a guy where he could shoot with the best of them and the puck goes the right way when he's on the ice. And he can do that against some of the game's toughest competition. I'm surprised Calgary got rid of him. Well, you know what, Tim? I think the reason why they got rid of Mark Giordano is because they knew they had a superstar coming with the third overall pick of 2010, Mr. Erica Branson. <laughs> I'm sorry, Katrina. It's still funny. <laughs> That's so bad. It's so bad. But you know what isn't bad, Tim? The Los Angeles Kings have announced a new alternative jersey for the upcoming 2021-22 season. Said jersey is a, in quotes, full and permanent refresh of the original 1990s heritage jersey complete with chrome helmets and white gloves. So we're talking about the LA Kings. The one criticism I've always had about the team itself is that they've never had their own identity when it came to their colors. Because if you look through the Kings history of jerseys, they always copied whoever was the popular team in town, whether it be the Lakers of the 60s, the LA Raiders of the late 80s. And then, of course, you get to the late 90s or 2000s when they switch over to black, purple, and silver, which I got to say, there's something about purple in hockey jerseys. I don't, I can't put my finger on what it is about it. It just looks great. And not enough teams use it. Only when you realize there was already a team called the Kings in California that used that color scheme. Uh-huh. The Sacramento Kings. No one cares about them. No, fuck, nobody cares about them. That's a Sacramento. Who cares? Although, <laughs> great, great color for jerseys, though. Beautiful. But yeah, honestly, when now we're talking about the LA King jerseys, this has got to be, as much as I'm always partial to the black and purple looks that they had in the 2000s, the Raider colors of the nineties. Oh, you want to talk about just so classic looking for a hockey team. Cause how no team really used black and silver at that time. Right. It was just kind of, it was strictly a Raider color. And then Bruce McNall looked at the Raider success in LA and was like, yeah, okay, we'll take it. We, we jive with that. We jive with that. I know. But the only criticism I have on this jersey, Tim, is I did have a look at the look itself. The jersey looks great, by the way. The color looks great. And you said last year, you said something last year that really stuck out to me when talking about these reverse retro jerseys when they when Arizona brought back the the um, the Coyote, when some of these teams brought their original jerseys. And I said, why is it that these teams and these jerseys just don't seem to fit? And you says it's because they're just copying what was popular in the nineties. They're not designing it to look great for the adidas jersey and that's what la did for this yeah and it you can tell that it's like it is they chose a color and they they designed kind of the arm bars and all the flashing so that it fits with the very slim down look of a modern jersey and that's part of the reason why like i think if they ever decide to reverse retro uh some of the jerseys from the late 2000s or early 2010s it would work because the Reebok Edge jersey is also a slimline jersey, while the 90s jerseys are baggy. It's a different shape. It fits totally. the character. It fits the player differently. Yeah. Now, going back to what I was saying about the this jersey, the only thing I don't like, I don't like the helmets. I don't like the chrome color. It was kind of like when LA did the outdoor game with the Avalanche and Army or Native Navy Stadium or whatever. When they right. the game. Remember how I said when you looked at the shiny helmets? That's exactly what it looks like. And I was not a fan of those either. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. 
So Tim, it's hard to believe that we're only maybe a week into the season and we already got a couple of suspensions. Hell yeah. I know, right? It's hard to believe old-time hockey's back. Starting off with Detroit Red Wings captain Dylan Larkin was suspended one game for roughing Tampa Bay Lightning forward Matthew Joseph. This is Larkin's first suspension. That is a suspendable play. Mm -hmm. There needed to be something done to Joseph. Because you cannot say that you're cracking down on cross checks, then have a dude cross check someone who's in a vulnerable position and punish him when he swings back. That's fucked. And it was something, and even watching the Sens Leafs game the other night, the one thing that really stuck out to me when talking about the suspension, I think it was Kevin Bieksa and Elliot Freeman talked about it, and they made a comment about Joseph made the hit, and people are shocked that Dylan Larkin hit him. But the only thing is, he didn't prepare himself for that because, again, what are you going to do, right? He's not going to hit him. He knows that's a suspension, and Larkin just swung and punched him. So you would think if this was 20 years ago, you do that, you're preparing for this guy to retaliate. Yeah. Whereas the modern game doesn't have that anymore. It's like, I am fine with a sucker punch being basically in its suspension. I have no problem with that. That It's not a hockey play, but there need to be some sort of discipline on Joseph. Like that should have been a penalty. And that's actually one of the things where we'll probably talk about next week when we talk about the Sens and uh, Dallas game where Oh, Stutzler got slashed. Slash. Well, Stutzler got stashed, but uh, Pinto wins a faceoff against Jamie Ben, and Jamie Ben just like cross checks him into the ice after he loses. And that's got to be a penalty. Hurt Larkin last year, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what hurt Larkin. And if you're actually going to be clamping down on cross checks, you have to get stuff like that because that's what hurts people. Well, do you think maybe the reason they didn't suspend Joseph is because Larkin took the law in his own hands and he sacrificed him? So. But that still should have been a penalty. True, but at that point, you think it kind of, the reason why they didn't call is because it evened itself out in a weird way. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're trying to get cross-checks out of the game, you you can't keep that sort of game management in mind. And taking Larkin out with like a match penalty is still greater than giving Joseph two minutes for cross-checking and Larkin two and a match penalty for roughing. Not to be outdone, though, Tim. Colorado Avalanche captain Gabriel Landeskog was suspended two games for boarding Chicago Blackhawks forward Kirby Duck. Landeskog will forfeit $70,000 in salary. I can't even argue this. Like, that was a blatant penalty. That was bad. And But I'm going to argue this because that's two games without Gabriel Landeskog. And I, I need the points. I know, Tim. I know. You're hurting. But yeah, I'm hurting. Well... Yeah, no, you you can't argue that one. Mm-mm. Especially for a guy who was defenseless like that. And I think of the Joseph hit when that happened, because again, how is it that Landeskog got two games and Joseph got not, not even a slap on the wrist for doing that to Larkin, right? Yeah, like something should happen to Matthew Joseph. But yeah, there was no excuse what Gabriel Landeskog did. No, 100%, man, 100%. So let's move on. Now we've got a couple of, well, first of all, we got a head coach that got signed this week. Tampa Bay Lightning have re-signed head coach John Cooper to a three-year contract extension. Cooper, who is entering his ninth season as Lightning head coach, has recorded a 384, 197, and 53 regular season record during his tenure while winning two division titles, the Jack Adams Award and 2019, and making the Stanley Cup Finals three times in 2015, 
2020 and 2021, the final two were Stanley Cup victories for the Lightning. Everyone knew it was going to be a transition year for this year, for them this year. So kudos to them for signing the coach back because the Lightning, it's been a weird season for them so far, eh? Like nothing to panic, although uh, letting the Red Wings hang six is just weird. I know. It's just strange, man. Like when I saw that score, I was like, what? That's yeah. Right? And then the Penguins hung six on them in the season opener. Yeah. But how much of it do you really think is either fatigue from their cup win and how much of it really is just the fatigue of the Stanley cup games that they've played. Right. Cause it happens to every team. Yeah. No kidding. Um, although it is funny that Pittsburgh did that without Crosby or Malkin. That's true. That is true. So former champion Tampa Bay Lightning tied with the Ottawa Senators. Isn't early hockey great? Hey, how about the Sabres at 2-0, though? That's just weird. They'll come back to earth. That's true. 2-80. and 80. So, we, Tim, we got a trade to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a good joke. I, I'll get pat myself on the back for that. Hey. The Vancouver Canucks have traded defenseman Ole Yolevi to the Florida Panthers in exchange for defenseman Noah Yulson and forward Yuho Lamico. Yolevi was the Canucks' fifth overall pick in 2016, recording two goals, one assist for three points in 23 games for Vancouver, while Julissi and Lamico recorded one assist in five games for the American Hockey League's Syracuse Crunch and four goals, one assist for five points in 44 games for the Florida Panthers last season, respectively. I don't really get Vancouver giving up on this guy so easily. Well, the thing is, I think for me is that there just really wasn't a ton of room to bring this kid in just because, you know, with the trade for OEL, I think that really put a log jam at defense for him. But also when you look at guys like Quinn Hughes and you look at some of these young guys that Canucks have who quickly have developed into NHL regulars. And this guy has been in the organization five years and he still hasn't developed, but he's had like a full season and he frankly wasn't bad in that full season. And he's 22. That is true. That is true. But you know what? It's the modern NHL is like, if you can't be good at 19, then what the hell are you doing? I guess. But at the same time, it's like, this feels like a trade where had they waited half a season, it, they very well could have gotten more for it. Gotten more for all the you love if it is really just a deck share sort of thing. True. But also I think it's that it's the Canucks mismanagement of him too, which is that he's not, hasn't properly developed. And you look at some of the prospects the Canucks have had over the years, like a Jonathan Dolan, for example, where he was a highly touted prospect for the Alex Burroughs trade. He goes there, doesn't develop. This is kind of the same thing with Ulyevi is that the skills are there. The skills are there, but he's pretty raw. It would take a few years for him to develop, but, but maybe the Canucks have just gotten impatient and said, you know what? But here's the thing, Tay. not ready. Look at these defensive pairings. OEL, Tyler Myers is your first pairing. Quinn Hughes and Tucker. Are you Tucker goddamn woman? And then Jake Rathbone and Kyle Burris. I really don't see Yulievi being worse than Pullman, Rathbone, or Burris. Look, I'm not saying he isn't. I'm not no, saying he I'm, isn't. I, am I agree with you. This is a complete mismanagement. And I think that even if they didn't like what they saw with Yulievi, they could deal with him for half a season get him to that point per game mark 
He looks defensively solid. You might get more than some spare parts. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But you know what, though? If there's a team that's honestly going to properly develop him into an NHL regular, it's the Florida Panthers. Because you look at their players over the years. I mean, you look at the Barkosh, you look at the Huber Doe's, the Aaron Eckblad's, the Mackenzie Wigner's. You look at those guys who they've drafted, developed, and are now regulars. And some of them are even superstars in the NHL today. Of course. I love this trade for Florida. Oh, because you're giving up spare parts for something that looks like it's going to something that looks like it'll pan out into being an actual NHL player. Yeah. And you know, with Bill Zito as GM though, Tim, I really think that the Panthers will also get him under a team friendly contract too. You got to factor that in. So no, this is a great trade for Florida. If it really develops great, good for Florida, man. I don't know how Jim Benning still has a job. Like this is just crazy. Do the Canucks think that OEL is actually going to be, like OEL isn't toast. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they haven't watched any of his stats past 2016. I don't know. Yeah. Cause like dude had a rough, it's weird because like, I guess the Canucks are gambling that like the past three years have just been one horrible, horrible opium dream. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I haven't watched enough of OEL this season to say one way or the other. No, I think the only thing I've seen of him was, there was this one clip from practice and he looked totally gassed. But again, it was like the end. It was like, it was a 40 second sprint iced, you know, blue line to blue line kind of deal. Right. Which tires you out pretty quick, man. Like I'm not. Oh no, of course. Like that doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. So we got to talk about some signings and believe me, we got some big signings to close it off, but we're going to start off with New Jersey Devils have signed Jimmy Vasey to a one-year $800,000 contract. Vasey recorded five goals, five assists for 10 points in 50 games for the Toronto Police and Vancouver Canucks last season. Now, here's the funny thing, Tim. When I was putting top of the air together, there were some signings. There was like Eric Gustafson signed in Chicago, kind of some PTO signings that were like, okay, league minimum, whatever. The only reason I wanted to include this is because did you see his tweet? He quote tweeted Elliot Friedman's, announcement that he got signed by jersey <laughs> and it was just jersey has signed jim vasey and he quote tweeted with oh god somebody should tell my dad he should get in shape what he goes by jimmy not jim <laughs> okay that's pretty good yeah so i got nelson to comment on that but i do have some comments on our next signing though tim New York Islanders oh. have officially signed forward Zach Parise and defenseman Daniel Chara to a one-year $750,000 contract. Parise recorded seven goals, 11 assists for 18 points in 45 games for Minnesota, while Chara recorded two goals, eight assists for 10 points in 55 games for Washington last season. Who would have thought 20 years later that <laughs> Daniel Chara has come full circle and he's back with the Isles? <laughs> it's so funny 20 years after 20... he got traded to the sins he, it's come full circle <laughs> did he comment on that no i think oh. he i think the only comment he had was just blew off the dust it still fits and it's his original isles jersey oh that's that's great that's great yeah honestly I'm not surprised that they made these signings. I think Lou Lamarillo knows exactly what he has in Zach Parise. He's not expecting him to be a top-line player like he was in Jersey. Chara can be a depth pickup, and he brings a lot of experience to the Isles. So, yeah. No, they're good pickups. 
Yeah. I mean, that's really all we can really say, man. Like Lou Lamorello, for what you want to comment about him, he still has his touch sometimes. Yeah. Now we come to the heart of top of the air, Tim, because we got some big signings to talk about. We're going to start off with the Boston Bruins have re-signed defenseman Charlie McAvoy to an eight-year, $76 million contract with an AAV 9.5. McAvoy, drafted 14th overall by the Boston Bruins in 2016, recorded five goals, 25 assists for 30 points at 51 games for the Bruins last season. Man, this makes the Seth Jones contract look stupid. Yeah. I will comment one thing right here and right now, Tim, and it's funny going back to our season preview show when, when I had Mark Allred on and we talked about this, this is exactly the kind of signing. He said like the Bruins were going to give him like nine and yeah. a half. He would be comfortable with this. The only comment I have about this is that it's great that the Bruins have re-signed this guy long-term. It's interesting because what is the one thing the Boston Bruins are not known to do? Long contracts. Spend money. Oh yeah, that too. if you really think about it, because you look at a lot of the players over the years, how much money they have not thrown around. They didn't do it in the eighties. Modern days, they don't really seem to want to do that as much. That's why you don't see a lot of the big, big free agents go to Boston. So when you have a guy like Charlie McAvoy, and they finally say, "Okay, we're going to sign you nine and a half million per," it's pretty good because there's not too many Bruins in the history of this that <laughs> franchise who's gotten those big kind of money deals, man. Well, think about it. Like Patrice Bergeron, Pasternak, and Brad Marchand are all around six. Now, there's probably a few factors of that. I think it's always that these players always go to Boston and they fall in love with the city. They fall in love with playing in Boston. So they probably will go, okay, we love the city. We love what this team is doing. We love the market. We will take discounts to stay here. And that's always been the Bruins mentality, man. Like perfect example, speaking of defensemen, do you have any idea how much money Ray Bork left on the table 35 years ago to stay in Boston? The guy could have made so much money back in the day. And he says, no. Honestly, fair enough. And what's kind of insane is just this sort of signing. They currently have about $6 million to throw around. And uh, looking at the only thing that might be a bit weird for the contract extension next year is you do have uh, Jake DeBrusque and yeah, Jake DeBrusque being a big RFA. Mm-hmm. That might be a little weird. Yeah. That's going to be weird. You have him Bergeron's a UFA. So that's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much money he gets when pastor next. He's still an RFA, right? The end of the deal. Nope. UFA. Ooh, how much money do you think pastor will get in his next deal? Probably at, probably close to 10 yeah bergeron will probably this like his next year he'll be 37 they'll probably end up paying him he'll probably take a pay cut so that probably makes that's probably why they're able to sign mcavoy that plus in 2022 2023 caps probably going up yeah yeah i mean you know again this is a great signing this is and it's funny because this is exactly the kind of contract I kind of probably predicted the Bruins were going to give him anyway. I wasn't going to see 10 mil. Like he was not going to get 10 million. The only thing for this contract is I bet you anything. Adam Fox with the Rangers is going to look at this contract and be like, top that in New York. Yeah. How much money do you think the Rangers are going to have to sign Adam Fox now? 
when his big boy contract is ready. No kidding. You got to feel bad for Carolina because they trade for this guy knowing that he's going to be a freaking superstar. And then he's just like, nah, fuck you, Rangers. But yeah, they're going to have to move the goddamn Brinks truck up. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be crazy, man. Now, speaking of the Rangers, they're back in the news because the New York Rangers have re-signed Ford Mika Zibanejad to an eight-year, $68 million contract with an AAV 8.5. Zibanejad recorded 24 goals, 26 assists for 50 points in 56 games for the Rangers last season. Now, look, I know what we talked about this in our last episode. How the hell did he only get eight and a half, man? I don't know, man. How can you be like, here's the thing I don't get about Zibanejad. How can you be an unsung hero, underappreciated player in Madison Square Garden? How do you do that? I know. It's amazing. But you know what, though? Maybe that was Zibanejad saying, I love this team. I love where this team's going. He knows if he signs 10 mil. Okay, so you have Panarin who's making, I think, 11 he would make 10. Fox is going to make more than 10. So you're basically handcuffing the Rangers right there, man. Like you're not going to yeah. be able to build a team around you. If you keep, if you make 10 mil a year. And it's funny because like, as far as advanced stats go, Zibanejad had an off season last year, despite having a very good score sheet season. Somehow Zibanejad forgot what the front of the net looked like. Who would have thought that? Yeah, but he still had like three three primary points an hour, which is elite. So like uh, goals and primary assists. So it's just like, what happened? And like, that's got to be an anomaly. Yeah, it does. It does. But you know what? The Rangers, man, they're heading in the right direction. So I don't see them as a playoff team this year. I think they're maybe still a year away from that, but... It's amazing, eh? They went from what? Okay, we're rebuilding to sign Panarin, sign Zabinajad, sign this guy, this guy, this guy. Okay, our rebuild's essentially over now. We're ready. But it's all—it's also such a weird team because, like, their picks, they haven't really worked out so far. Like, it's way too late to talk. It's too early to talk about Lafreniere. Uh, if this year's better, that's good. If not, then you start to worry. Capo Caco has been disappointment to say the least mm-hmm. and i don't feel out of place saying that no but it could be just a situation of the rangers uh rushing him to the nhl that's fair so we're going to move away from talking about the rangers to talk about the other new york team the new york islanders because the new york, new york islanders have re-signed defenseman Ryan Pollock to an eight-year, $49.2 million contract with an AAV, 6.15. Pollock, drafted 15th overall by the New York Islanders in 2013, recorded two goals, 15 assists for 17 points, and 56 games for the Islanders last season. Just a steady defenseman. Yeah. The only question I have about this, he's a steady defenseman. Is the guy worth more than six mil, though? Or am I uh, that? Because he, when I think I of think six million dollar defenseman, I think of a guy who's very highly offensive, where he just seems like a two way defenseman who can put up points when needed. Well, the thing is, is he can do that while being very good in his own end against the top players of the league. 
I think that's worth six million because it's like he's no slouch when it comes to points. No. And he is very steady defensively. So it's like I think it's a fine contract for Pollock. You're probably hoping for a bit more value. And yeah, I can appreciate that, but I don't think it's bad. No, I'm not saying it's a bad contract. I'm just thinking is the money just a little too rich for a guy like him, right? It might be. Like if he was getting five, I can understand that. But when you're getting north of six, okay, well, who would be your comparison at that point, right? You have, you know, a Matthias Eckholm in Nashville. You would have guys like that who play the same kind of style, maybe not as young as Pollock, but. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Now, speaking of Matthias Eckholm, Tim, he also got re-signed to the Nashville Predators. He got re-signed mm-hmm. to a four-year, $25 million contract with an AAV 6.25. Ekholm recorded six goals, 17 points for 23... Sorry, six goals, 17 assists for 23 points in 48 games for Nashville last season. Ekholm's season so far has been a bit rough. And uh, he went from being good in the offensive zone and keeps the puck out of the defensive zone to, hey, if I'm going to be on the ice, it's going to be fun. I don't care which side of the ice it's fun. Yeah. And as far as Nashville's early, early results have been, that hasn't worked out too good. I think some of that is definitely the forwards on Nashville have uh, disappointed. That's putting it lightly, too. Yeah. And... Matias, like Felipe Myers, hasn't been great. And this is also Ed. You know what's wild? What? Ben Harper made the Nashville defense core. Do you think this is a team on the route to a teardown? Yep. I think, I think honestly, we're a year away from that because if the Nashville Predators miss the playoffs, yeah, you're going to see a full on rebuild. Well, it's like Ben Harper is definitely an omen. Yeah, when Ben Harper makes this team. Now, that's one thing. Okay, Mark Borowiecki makes the team. Okay, I can kind of believe that, but Ben Harper? No. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, you know, Tim, this would be the time at the top of the hour where we would segue out of it and talk about the games. We've got one more signing to talk about. This is a signing you and I have waited a long time to talk about. But I got something to play first, Tim. Something yeah. to set the mood. There is no doubt who was about yeah. to make an appearance. <laughs> The new story. We have waited a long time to announce him. The Ottawa Senators have re-signed forward Brady Tuchuk to a seven-year, $57.5 million contract with an AAV 8.214. Tuchok, drafted fourth overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2018, recorded 17 goals, 19 assists for 36 points in 56 games for the Ottawa Senators last season. Love to see it. 
We did it! it We got him! He resigned! I will not lie to you right now, Tim. The day he signed, I woke up, and always the first thing I do is I check Instagram, I check my social media, because that's what I do. First post I see was Brady to Chuck LFG. All I thought was... No, no, it, 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 it can't be. It can't be true. And I Googled it. First thing that popped up, Ottawa Senators re-signed Brady to Chuck. And I am a 29-year-old man, Tim. The range of emotions I felt that morning, I was one step from just breaking down and just started crying right there. I was so happy they got him. I, I just remember, like, you said – I was in the middle of a meeting and he sent me break Chuck's side. I was just fucking awesome. And I'm like, thank God for mute. I know. And you know, and usually with stuff like that, I try, I try not to message you during the day. Cause I know that you're at work or working no, no, in no. your home office slash podcast studio. No, 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 no. This was the news. You want to talk about a new story that just brought an entire fan base together after so long of worrying that what happened with Mark Stone, what happened with Eric Carlson, what happened with Daniel Alfredson, that history was repeating itself with Brady. And he's, mm, and he's, it's on a very fair contract. It, I'm so, and like, the fact that it's not a bridge deal just dispels so much worry. This is good shit. Dude, I am, I'm so happy right now to talk about it. Like, you have no idea. This is, this is great. Uh, just having Brady around for seven more seasons takes him, I think it takes him through to UFA, but who cares? We've bought his, he's 22 now, seven years. That buys his best years. Yeah. And that's a team-friendly contract. Uh, so, like, you have your core, to your two core players in Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat locked up long-term. And you also have Drake Batherson locked up for most of his prime two at five. Yeah, just under six million, too. And there's now talks that the Sens are now talking to Josh Norris about a new contract. This, this is how you build a team i'm 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 a loss for words man i really am like at this point it's like as much as we give dorian shit for some of his missteps especially things like the dell's auto signing or just getting to this point in the season the team's base is built yeah and i don't even really mind like this and if the Sens look good this season, they have room to go and grab a pretty good RFA, like maybe even a good uh, UFA at the trade, sorry, not the trade deadline, at the opening of free agency as a clutch route. But yeah, so it's like, this is a really, this is a really well-built team so far. It is. And that top, in our top six, is just looks so good right now. It's not even funny. Yeah, it's like, and it's funny because like most of them are 
they are so young and most of them are like, it's funny because like Pinto Batherson, Stutzla, homegrown, Josh Norris and Nick Paul, we got from Dallas and uh, San Jose, San Jose, Connor Brown drafted by Toronto. Gustafson got from Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh. And, and it's funny because even like some of the extra pickups along the way, like Tyler, like O'Formanton drafted, Tyler Ennis has looked really good he so has, far. Like, and, and we'll talk about it in the games. Like he's been a guy, I've been so happy that he's back. Like it's so good. And it, even watching that game yesterday against Dallas. And I thought he had a really good game in there too, but yeah. I'm just, and, you cannot explain how happy I am right now to finally have this over, have this done and we could put this behind us because I was so exhausted by all the Brady talk on Twitter, all the dread by the fans, all of the talk that, well, maybe we should trade Brady if he doesn't want to be here. Fuck all of you and your bullshit. He is back. Honestly, can we say fuck Twitter on this podcast? Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. Fuck Twitter. Except for a few people. Yeah. yeah. But generally fuck Twitter. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this episode, which means only one thing. Time to talk about some games. Now, we've got two games versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, one at home, one away. I have been waiting a while to say this, Tim. Tim, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's kick it off with the Leafs versus the Senators. This was a 3-2 Senators victory. Leafs goals were scored by Jason Spezza and William Nylander. Sens goals were scored by Chris Tierney, Tyler Ennis, and Alex Formanton. Shots were 48-36 for Toronto. A somewhat even game overall, Ottawa started the game off flying, creating scoring chances and getting shots, which resulted in taking a three-goal lead ending the first period. Toronto was slow getting their game going until they completely took over in the third period, grossly outshooting Ottawa, potting two. However, Ottawa would hold on to secure the W. Before we talk about any player, anything, Brady to chuck that entrance. To the Stoke Cold Steve Austin theme. I love it, made me so happy that Brady Chuck knew what that was because they were doing that interview with him and he's just like, Yeah, man, it was so great. And you know, I got the Stone Cold Steve Austin theme going. I was just like, He's so happy. <laughs> I even wore my Chuck jersey that day and I was just like, This is amazing. Like, I'm so happy right now. Nice. This is- I, I had people at work who asked me, they're like, How's your day going? How's your day going, Tay? Seven years, Brady to Chuck's back. That's all I said to people. I was nice, so proud. Nice, nice. So happy. This game, though, Ottawa just Ottawa took it and ran until the third period when they parked the bus. Yeah. Um, the Leafs looked really bad for two periods, and Peter Morazic is the only reason that this wasn't a blowout Mm -hmm. and here's the thing sure i get it the leafs played the night before in montreal you cannot come out like that if you want to be perceived as 
Stanley Cup winning favorites. That's just not a thing you can do. No. No, it was honestly just sad watching the Leafs do it. It was great for us because we were watching it and we're like, okay, man, we're looking pretty good against Toronto. The top six was look great. I will say though, actually, no, I'll save that comment for um, because what's really funny about Toronto too is they didn't even like they only really came out super hard for that first five minutes of the third, and then Ottawa took the wins right out of their sails. It honestly was like watching the Leafs play the Habs in the playoffs last year. Remember when they were yeah, a team that's so offensively gifted as Toronto, you can tell sometime they don't have to always put in the the effort and put in a lot of the work because they know that they can go up three or four goals and they can basically park the bus. Well, Ottawa shit on them at five on five. Yeah. Like they scored two power play goals. When you look at the games, like, um, an X goal, like a pressure pressure model or an X goal model for just five on five, Ottawa beat them clean. Yeah, Ottawa like the Zub, Shabbat and Zub ate Brody and Riley for lunch. It, it wasn't a close game. It wasn't. It wasn't a close game. And okay, so there's so many comments I want to make here, and I want to talk about Anton Forsberg. Forty six saves, point eight nine feet. Eight nine five eight save percentage without question. I will go on record right now, Tim. He played the best game he will ever play in his career. The guy stood on his head in that third period versus the super aggressive Elise attack. Forsberg looked great, and that could have been worse. Yeah, but the other thing is, it's just he looked very poised in net. So it's like, as much as people were complaining that Gustafson got sent down, I'm I'm fine with Gustafson playing opening minutes in the A because it looks like Forsberg, at the very least, is capable of turning in a very good backup performance. And a lot of those, some of those saves he was making were like, oh, like 10 alarm bell saves too. Like with uh, Nick Ritchie and Mitch Marner getting right tight in there and just like Forsberg dive, diving. And then there's in the next game, there's an incredible save that Forsberg makes on. I think it's Nylander where Forsberg's on the other side. Of the, no, it's on Marner on the other side of the net. And then he just flies across and gets it with the blocker. And one thing I've actually noticed about uh, Forsberg in this game is that his rebound control is a lot tighter than it was last season. Yeah. And I think even when watching the Leafs attack in this game, you know, and I almost got flashbacks of last year where the senators would put themselves in positions like that, where you just knew it was going in. Yeah. You knew. And like I said, when we played the Oilers and they had a three goal lead on two shots, it's just like, this is embarrassing. This is the team. All doubt was put to rest when you watch this. Cause it was just like, thank God we're not going to get just ass mangled once again because yeah. honestly i could not put up with another year like we did last year the other thing is that the paul pinto brown line did not combine for a goal nope but they were fantastic he was and i actually want to talk about shane pinto because the guy had four shots in this game he proved with one game why he's the true number two center on this team well, he is in for a 20 year old. This guy is incredibly, incredibly poised. And 
looking at just kind of the matchups, the Paul line, they shut down Tavares. Like it was incredible. And watching the first two penalty kills where the Toronto power play could not get set up for their, to save their life. It was incredible because like Pinto is always in the right position. Like it's very rare that he gets spun. It's true. And you know what, man, there's so many guys in this game that I want to talk about. Now, one guy we need to talk about Alex Formanton, one goal on two shots. I want to make a reference to the tweet that you put out about him outskating Morgan Riley. Cause that's exactly what I thought. And you keep in mind, Morgan Riley is a great skater. Nobody will ever question. He's a very smooth skater. He doesn't seem to be super fast. He seems to be a very smooth skater. This guy had a great game, that beauty goal in the dying seconds. And talking about the Sens goal, I can't blame Jack Campbell on the first two because they were deflected. Mrazic. Mrazic. Oh, was Mrazic? Okay. Yeah, Mrazic left because of an injury at the end of the second. Right, right. Okay. Uh, Sorry. I totally got it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, But yeah, that goal, so beauty. Him out skating Morgan Riley, you're just like, uh, well, what's insane is it's an icing play. Morgan Riley has a good four or five strides on Formington, and Formington clears the icing. Like, that's insane because Morgan Riley, you're right. Like, once he gets to his top speed, he maintains it effortlessly. So, for Formington to close and overtake is like, holy fuck, this kid is fast. And then that bumper, that uh, bumper goal, three, nothing. Yep. Beauty stuff. And that was just right after that. And a bit of a scrambly, but still a really nice goal by Tyler Ennis to put the sends up on the power play. It's true. And Tyler Ennis, he had a goal and assist for two points. Once again, he's proving why I was happy to see him return. He's a low risk, high reward pickup. Now, the one guy I do want to talk about, talk about the goal, Chris Tierney's goal. Do you think that should have counted? Yes. Now, keep in mind, I'm only bringing this up because of the Chandler Stevens goal versus Seattle. He blatantly kicked that in. Yeah. Even Leon Messi couldn't have kicked it better <laughs> than he did. But uh, with the Tierney goal, the foot's not moving. Yeah, he plants the foot. But it's a really nice redirect from Chris Tierney, who actually had a really nice game. He did, and he had a really nice game in the next game we're talking about, too. Yeah. Uh, who else do we need to talk about? Parker Kelly. Three shots. Brought a lot of energy. Really liked his game. Didn't know a ton about him, so I was happy about him. The only other player I can talk about. Zoob. Nuff said. Nuff said. Well, it's just very – he saved a goal, man. He did, but I love the fact that as soon as he touched the puck, the fans just went zoo. zoo. I can't wait to do that in Vancouver. It's going to be great. Oh, that'll be fun. Uh, the only the only down, negative I really saw in this game was even though the Zaitsev-Mete pairing looks, looks pretty good on the five-on-five shot charts, man, they did not look good to the eyes. Mm-hmm. No, that is true, man. Now... The only other comment I want to make on this game, and maybe we'll, I don't know if I want to save it for a discussion point in the next couple of episodes here, the attendance, because the attendance was below 10,000. This was an 8,000 seat game. That's concerning. Like for 
a game was it no was it tonight or was it dallas i think it was dallas i think it was dallas okay sorry wrong game yeah that's right guys is toronto fans fucking everywhere no you're right yeah sorry it's the wrong game it's the dallas game i'm thinking of anyway no we'll save that because honestly that's going to be a great discussion point so yeah we'll save that for another episode mm-hmm. now do you have any more comments you want to make on this game before we head off into the second and final game between the sends and the leafs I think one thing you could kind of tell is that the center rotation was a bit weird mm-hmm. uh, because yeah, Logan Shaw is definitely getting sheltered. He is. I think the only comment I can really make is that man on record. I still think we got one of the best home jerseys in the league. It is a nice Jersey. It's so re- nice because again, I, I was very skeptical about just straight black and red. Because those kind of jerseys, they kind of need a little bit of white to kind of make it pop. It just looks great. It really does. And uh, I'm I'm glad I got my Batherson jersey. Same. I got my Stutzla and my Shabbat jersey in the closet, so it's awesome. So let's move our attention to the second and final game of the evening. Sens versus Leafs. This is a 3-1 to Leafs victory. Sens goals are scored by Josh Norris. Leafs goals are scored by Wayne Simmons, Alex Kerfoot, and... Michael Bunting shots were 29 21 for Toronto Toronto outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game Toronto started off the game playing a really solid game on both sides of the puck which they sustained throughout the game Ottawa were out of sorts to start the game but they did get their game going as it went on however they could not secure the W so this is a game that you know those games where you watch you know the team's not playing good but it's not to a point where there's not much you could really say about it. Yeah. This is one of those games. And I'm looking at my notes and Anton Forsberg had 26 saves, a 0.8968 percentage on the Leafs goals. I don't blame him on that. The Sens defense left him very unexposed. Well, but here's a stat line for you, Tay. Yeah. Mete and Zaitsev, three goals against. And like, but most of those goals you had one of Mete or Zaitsev was in no man's, like just nowhere. One of them where they got spun or the worst one is like Zaitsev can't keep the zone. Puck hops past him. Mete then loses his man. And I think that's the bunt. I think it's the bunting goal. Mm-hmm. And that's just a clean pass in the net. Like that is just bad defense. Like, I, yeah, I really think that uh, Anton Forsberg got hung up to dry. Although it's like outside of like that, I don't think the Sens actually played too bad. They just looked really out of sorts. Yeah. I think that was the thing. I think by the third period, you can kind of tell they were getting their game going a little bit, but they were still kind of out of sorts. So I actually want to talk about a couple of players. Josh Norris, one goal and three shots. I really liked his game on this game. What else do we want to talk about here? I mean, we were talking about the Batherson goal. Okay, let's talk about the Batherson goal. So, again, Drake Batherson, he had an assist in one shot. I understand he was offside. But I wish that had counted just to see the reaction on Twitter. That would have been amazing. Well, it's like, it's funny because it's like, this is one of those places where it is within the written rules but it is completely against the spirit of the rule because batherson did not get any sort of advantage from being offside and the complete defensive breakdown of the maple leafs there should have been punished 
should have been. But the fact is, like, if you watch it on the replay, he was blatantly offside. Like, there was no, like, and that's like, it was such a bang bang play. When you watch it in live time, you may not have caught it. But I think on the replay, if you slowed it down, you could see that both skates were off. This is my opinion on this thing. Okay. If you can't see it in real time, you should not call it. It does fucking nothing to improve the game. Literally nothing. The offside challenge should be for shit like the Duchesne goal. Not for chintzy shit like this. Like, no hockey game has ever been improved by an offside challenge. I'm going to straight up say it there. No game has ever been improved. Get rid of it. And every coach who complains should get a swirly. Fuck them. Bad rule, bad process. Get rid of it. Nothing's ever been made better by it. All you get is five-minute gaps in the middle of a fucking hockey game. It's bad. Don't do it. So the only other player I want to talk about here, Tim, and I don't think I can honestly top your little rant there, Tim Stutzlov had two shots in this game. I really thought he had a really good game in this one. Let's talk about the slash. Yep. Seriously? It was yep. Yeah, I, I don't know. The only thing I could really comment with Tim Stutzla, he's had a pretty good couple of games to start the season. One comment, and maybe this is just me. Have you noticed when a pass gets thrown to Stutzla, he can't seem to catch it? It could be a perfect pass right to him. He can't catch it. I haven't noticed that. Because the only reason I bring this up is because... Tim Stutzla changed his stick. Right. He's using Ryan's single stick that he was using last year. Now, keep in mind, Tim Stutzla probably has a lie on his stick that's specific to how he plays. Ryan Dezingle probably doesn't have that. It's either probably higher or probably lower. So that's probably why. And that's the one thing I've really noticed other than last season was that you throw a pass, he catches it. You throw a clean pass to him, he can't seem to catch it properly. And I'm just like, maybe it's the lie of the stick. And I've noticed that playing drop in hockey myself was that because I'm using a CCM stick right now that's a lie six, and I catch it like nothing. Yeah. I've used fives, very hit mess whether I can catch him. It's just a weird thing for me. And that's something I really picked up on. But I know it'll be not a big deal to a lot of people, but it's something that I noticed. So I wanted to bring it up, right? Yeah, and I think it might just be getting used to the stick, too. Because the other thing about Stutzla is he's had these really brilliant plays, and uh, his his puck carrying has been incredibly dominant. Like, just mm-hmm. watching him dangle around the defense, and he gets these beautiful shots, and he got, he got straight up robbed by Jack Campbell twice. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about saves. Forsberg save on Tavares. Oh, Holy my shit. God. Wow, you want to talk about a five-alarm save he made right then and there. Yeah, and he made multiple of those, too. So, like, for a for a sub-900 outing, Forsberg had a good game. He did. Because, like, yeah, Vic, like, Ottawa's defense left him out to dry. Uh, Mete and Zaitsev were probably the worst, especially fucking Zaitsev. Surprisingly... The why am I blind? The Josh Brown and 
Nick Holden pairing, they were actually quite good in limited ice. Well, they played 16 minutes and they didn't look bad. Mm-hmm. One thing that frustrated me is sure, Zaitsev only played 16 minutes of the game, but he should have been stapled to the fucking bench for the third period. Because not only was he taking boneheaded penalties, especially the his tripping penalty led straight to a goal. It was dumb. It Sorry, was. no, his tripping penalty led to the five on three that Ottawa did manage to kill off. But you cannot take penalties like that. Yeah. Do you want to quickly talk about, I think it was in the first game, the Tavares call on, was it Batherson? I get why people think it's weak. Mm-hmm. That was about what they were calling for most of the game. Yeah. Like chintzy shit like that. So I, I don't have a problem with it. And at the same time, I get that it's a momentum killer, yeah. but you can't be doing you can't be getting beat flat-footed like that. It's very possible that had Tavares not done anything, mm-hmm. that Ottawa just would have scored. Yeah, they would have. Like, there's yeah. No... Like, I think you have to call that. 100%. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we close it out for another episode? Um, Where the hell did they find this bunting kid? I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, hopefully, hopefully Brandstrom gets some reps soon. Yeah. Hopefully in the next episode, we'll finally get to talk about Captain Brady's Chuck. Oh, that too, man. Do you have any, how do you think they're going to line them up? That's going to be tough. Cause there's talks that they're going to do. They m- might do it Thursday, which I, th- I want to get your opinion. Do you think it's a little classless to do it on Thursday? Given Eric Carlson's we're coming back to Ottawa. Or do you think that enough time has passed that he's come back to Ottawa a few times now that it's just not a big deal? I don't think it's a big deal. No. Honestly, I think that would be cool to go from having your former captain and the new captain on the same ice surface. Yeah. I, I have it no would be a cool that. kind of passing of the torch, right? Yeah. And then I think as far as the lines go, do you think we just go... Uh, well, I, I think uh, Kachuk Norris Batherson is locked in. Although, I guess the- Stutzla Norris Batherson though I that has been good really good honestly I would see probably him with Pinto and Connor Brown to start it off mm-hmm. just to, just to start it off right because again you're not going to throw a guy who hasn't played competitively in so long you're not going to throw him on the top line to start it off yeah well I guess the other thing is like I guess you could shift Paul and Brown down to the tyranny line mm-hmm and then put Kachuk, Pinto, and Ennis. Because Ennis plays all three forward positions. That could be interesting because Ennis is fast enough. He can just get it to Brady in front. Yeah. And then you have, yeah, and then you could play like, uh, yeah, yeah, Paul Brown, Tyranny, and then Formanton, Shaw, Formanton, Shaw, Sanford. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I'm not sure if, like, Logan Shaw played six minutes in the Toronto game. Yeah. I'm not sure that, uh, well, I really wonder what they do because uh, that's not a lot. You can't have your sixth line or your fourth line center playing that little hockey. Um, I think if they want to dump a contract, they just send down Sauber and I don't think they care if uh, he gets claimed or not at this point. 
No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, what do you even do? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll definitely have to talk about that next week with Trevor Shackles when he comes on. Yeah, no kidding. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug's our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honeybadger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WITE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to talk about the third line plug SmackDown return, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we've got three games on the schedule for next week. We've got last night's win versus the Dallas Stars, Thursday's game versus Eric Carlson and the San Jose Sharks, and Saturday, Mika Zibinijad comes home to Ottawa with the New York Rangers. It, that sounds like a fun slate of games, and uh, the, the Dallas game is going to be a funny one to talk about. Oh, totally is, man. It totally is. Yeah, I'm especially with Tierney deflecting a goal in off his crotch. Oh, I know. Oh, so funny. It's got to hurt, man. Well, yeah, he's wearing a cob. The cob would still hurt, though, I think. Of course. Ew, totally, totally, yeah. yeah. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. This has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys.